Hello, I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the April 14th episode of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red Claim Credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today's learning objective is to discuss the basis for the current FDA and CDC recommended pause in the use of the J&J or Janssen COVID-19 vaccine. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Eli Lilly and Company, as well as in-kind support by DKB Med LLC. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Awater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Dr. Allwater, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you, Faith. And the pandemic, unfortunately, continues to be uh, significant in many parts of our country. Uh, Michigan is the one that's been in the news most recently with uh, the highest rates in the country, as this graphic shows here. And the, the heat map gives you an idea that things were, were hotter in many states in March, but now we're heating up again in April uh, in Michigan. And, and the governor there has decided not to institute mandatory lockdown or mitigation measures. And I think we continue to have the tension of public health benefits, trying to staunch cases, and of course, the all the attendant issues that go with those sorts of measures in terms of economics, attending school, and so on. Now, why this uptick is occurring, of course, continues to be not completely clear. Uh, variants have clearly played a role, for example, in New York City, um, the homegrown uh, variant, as well as the B117, first described in the United Kingdom, have made up uh, almost 70% plus of the cases there in fairly short order. Uh, there could also be, um, you know, relaxation in many states of the mitigation measures, people letting down their guard, being immunized, uh, just thinking that uh, the worst is over, attending uh, larger activities, and, and some have indicated that perhaps certain aspects such as school sports or, or uh, busing uh, where there may not be open windows could be contributing to enhanced transmission uh, both um, in those settings and bringing infections to home or other places. But what's been most in the news this week has been the Janssen, Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine. Remember, this is the, the one uh, dose vaccine that's an adenovirus-based uh, spike protein, so non-replicating adenovirus. And yesterday, a, a combined statement from both the Food and Drug Administration and the Centers for Disease Control uh, suggested a halt to the states of their immunization programs using this vaccine. The basis was uh, the description of uh, clots in six women, and these were not the uh, routine DVTs or pulmonary emboli that uh, you know are, are more common, but rather 
uh, rare clots within the brain, so-called venous sinus thromboses, that appeared to occur within two weeks following immunization. They were in younger women. Uh, it would seem to me to be premenopausal, perhaps. Uh, there was one death. And uh, given this frequency, at least from the report, it appears this is a one in a million chance. But the recommendations went out uh, as soon as I think this information was organized. It is, I think, uh, transparent. Of course, there's people that say we should press on. Others say that this is right to pause until we have a better understanding, but uh, realize that uh, this may be uh, preventing people from being immunized and delay in reaching herd immunity. Although we've heard from the uh, US uh, admin Biden administration that they feel they have enough immunizations with other vaccines if this does not come uh, back in uh, circulation and use uh, soon. There are many questions, of course, as this was the first description. However, a very similar story has been evolving since uh, late winter with the AstraZeneca two-dose vaccine, which uses a chimpanzee adenovirus, still the spike protein, and, and the findings of very similar uh, clotting disorders there. Now, the EMA, which is the FDA equivalent in Europe, the European Medicines Agency, uh, confirmed that they feel that this risk is very low and advised that immunizations could still proceed, although many countries have taken uh, change. Now, I'd like to emphasize something important here, and that is the uh, COVID infection itself is well known to predispose to clotting issues, and those could be deep vein thromboses, pulmonary emboli, especially in the more critically ill, also strokes and heart attacks. This is not unique to COVID-19. Uh, uh, this is also seen, for example, in other viral infections, such as influenza, perhaps not to the same degree. However, this is thought to be more of a multifactorial basis as uh, the uh, viral binding receptor, the ACE2 receptor, is on many of the endothelial linings that the virus can bind. And it's a mixture of the stressors related to infection, the uh, inflammation, and also hypoxemia that might be contributing to clot. And this, of course, is very different, we believe, compared to the clots that have been identified in these two vaccines. Now, we're not quite sure the full mechanism, but the uh, AstraZeneca experience is, is a bit longer and has more cases. And uh, there have been 62 cerebral venous thromboses reported passively uh, from about 25 million patients, uh, 24 splanchnic uh, vein thromboses. And these, seem, again, seem to be mostly in women under 60 years, and there were 18 uh, fatalities. So I've mentioned the EMA has determined that the benefits here outweigh the side effects. Again, we know that people that are unimmunized uh, would have a higher risk of dying uh, than um, uh, these rare effects. Now, uh, there's always, a, a, I think, an ethical tension here about making a recommendation. Uh, here, you're sort of actively giving someone something as a opposed to passively acquiring COVID-19, uh, but these, these issues are important. I think countries have recognized this and have uh, sort of uh, 
come out with different recommendations that I find interesting. For example, uh, the United Kingdom, which of course has been um, at the forefront with the AstraZeneca vaccine and developed it, has, has said that people only over 30 should acquire this to keep it out of the hands of younger people that would be at very low risk for acquiring COVID-19, that would be a serious uh, illness or death. Other countries have raised the bar higher. This is interesting in part because one of the early criticisms of AstraZeneca were that their trials didn't include a lot of people that were in the 60 plus population. So I, I think this will continue to evolve. This is one strategy to try to use a vaccine that's uh, widely available and inexpensive, easy to transport and administer and, and protect populations. Uh, recently, the UK has come out uh, with some advice and two papers last week uh, in the New England Journal have both independently come to the same conclusion in a small number of patients that have defined uh, these clots mechanism perhaps or uh, the mechanism of thrombocytopenia as the low platelet count seems to be also associated. And it appears to be uh, that uh, an antibody post-immunization is made to platelet factor four. This is very similar to the mechanism seen in heparin-induced uh, thrombocytopenia, but of course there's no heparin exposure here. And one of the rationales that uh, the FDA and the CDC have come about to issue a halt immediately is to highlight information to doctors, because with this particular uh, situation, if it is similar to HIT, then uh, heparin should not be infused, which is typically done as a routine intravenous drug in hospital when a serious clot develops. Instead, alternative uh, agents should be used that are non-heparin based. Uh, antibodies should be given in the form of pooled IV immunoglobulin and giving more platelets uh, is definitely a bad strategy in this situation, which could help foster clots. So I think these are the same kind of recommendations if anyone uh, were to develop problems following the Janssen, Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And uh, not to cause undue worry, but if you have received that vaccine in the last two to three weeks, I would say, if you have a new or severe or persisting headaches, obviously any new neurologic problems or blurred vision. If petechiae are seen, which are uh, minute micro hemorrhages within the skin, maybe another sign of a low platelet count, uh, leg swelling, which could mean that there's a, a clot in the leg, chest pain or shortness of breath, which could mean pulmonary emboli, all should uh, seek immediate emergency attention uh, in, in those settings. So uh, overall, uh, the, the HALT, I think, is a reasonable conclusion. The vaccine's availability, uh, I think, unfortunately, will mean some people will not be immunized quite as uh, fast. There is a cost to this, and the cost is unseen. This is always the problem with not doing something. There is an unseen cost, and that means there will be more illness and death because of this. Uh, and it's always trying to balance things. Uh, uh, the way I sort of look at this is if this rate of one in a million or so clots uh, for the population, it means if everyone in the United States got the Janssen vaccine, there would be maybe 300 
and 30 clots. Uh, but if they're all in women, there might only be 150 clots. And so if there are 150 clots versus now 500 to 100, I'm sorry, 500 to 1,000 people uh, dying daily from COVID-19, I think the math is fairly clear cut. On the other hand, I think if it uh, uh, causes problems with vaccine hesitancy, worsening, people questioning the utility of vaccines and so on, these are all very difficult, but I think transparency and allowing people to reach their own conclusions probably is the most ethical and stands in the best interest. Uh, Faith, uh, I know we have a couple of questions today that uh, parallel uh, our uh, just uh, concluded discussions. Yes, we do. Thank you for those updates. Our first question is, the mRNA vaccines were used to vaccinate higher risk or older populations before the rollout of the J&J &J vaccine began. Could this be why we're seeing relatively young recipients experiencing these clotting issues, or is the younger age related to the potential clotting mechanism itself? This question, I think, frames a lot of important considerations that are, are unknown. Many states have now lowered the age of immunization to 16, and it's not exactly clear what vaccine component is driving this very rare production of antiplatelet factor four antibodies, if indeed uh, that's the explanation in all cases. So uh, we don't know if it's the configuration of the spike protein, which is actually slightly different in the J&J uh, &J vaccine versus the AstraZeneca. Is it the uh, vector mechanism, which are also different, but have some commonalities in that they're both adenovirus? It's really uncertain. And of course, the mRNA vaccines are in a way uh, more focused. They don't uh, probably elicit as many potential immune responses because you're only making the spike protein. The, the carrier vehicle itself doesn't really engender antibody responses since it's uh, lipid particles, although the lipid particles potentially have other uh, aspects. So I think overall, the fact that clotting factors uh, have uh, been brought up with two vaccines, certainly attention to the uh, mRNA vaccines will be looked at closely. We already have some real world experience, not only in the United Kingdom, uh, in Israel, also in the United States, so I think this will be looked at in databases to see if there's any hint of this happening. Thank you very much. And our final question is, do we have enough information from the J&J &J cases to know whether hormonal birth control plays a role in the disproportionate number of incidents among women? Again, this is a very interesting question. The data that I've seen to date is really very top level. I'm sure we'll be seeing more about the case description soon, so I think it's uncertain. There has clearly been a tilt with both the AstraZeneca vaccine and the Johnson & Johnson towards women. Uh, that seems fairly strong. Women tend to uh, generally have a bit more autoimmunity. They tend to have stronger, uh, more reactive immune systems that may be playing a role. It may just be related to those factors, there could be oral contraceptives. I, I think it's important as we are also thinking about this that uh, we may be able to uh, make refinements as to who should get vaccines and some populations being at extraordinarily low risk already, but even lowered risk 
there, or perhaps there could be some testing that could be performed in at-risk populations. Uh, obviously, we don't want anyone that's healthy to become very ill, have neurologic deficits or die that is just terrible. But on the other hand, we are still facing a pandemic causing extraordinary amounts of uh, morbidity and mortality. So these are gonna be important uh, uh, issues for regulatory uh, bodies and the government to make in the, in the next few days. Thank you, Dr. Allwater, and thank you to our learners for those very insightful questions. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19. Dr. Alwater, thanks again for your time. Thank you, Faith. And uh, certainly uh, the, uh, the curveballs continue to occur with this coronavirus. Uh, we have variants, we have some issues that have cropped up. I would have to say, I, it's not unexpected that when you uh, give immunizations to millions of people, there could be uh, rare side effects. So I think it's important to also keep in mind the larger top topic of keeping as many people healthy uh, from this coronavirus as possible.